This is the Wild River Podcast. My name is Sam. I am your host. This podcast is all about celebrating self-expression, putting ourselves out into the world and letting people see us. And for me, I really don't want to talk about self-expression without talking about the things that can fracture our self-expression, the things that can fracture our self-truth. And one of those things is shame and fear. That's another one. And they kind of go hand in hand. So I this is part two. I am sharing two stories. Um, you can check out the last one if you haven't heard it yet. And this one that is looking at and, and discussing and sharing stories that I had that helped me connect with myself, that helped me connect with my emotions, that helped me release fear and shame and have allowed me to show up more presently and allow me to be seen in the world because I don't think we can really shine and sparkle and fully put ourselves out there when there's a part of ourselves that we don't even want to look at and we can't claim that full confidence and power and self-sovereignty when we're ashamed and we're carrying shame around with us. So I'm excited to be sharing this story. Thank you for coming along with me. Thank you for joining me. I'm really happy to be sharing this with you. And I'm grateful that you will be listening and and taking this in, spending your time with me. So the second story, again, taught me about the importance of processing and experiencing my emotions. I think that might be the theme of my life. But this one is a little bit different. I knew intellectually that being strangled was a bad thing. And I knew that it was normal to be impacted by that. As much as I was a little bit embarrassed because I was like, there's so many other things that are worse, I still knew that this was a bad thing. And I knew that if I told people, people would be like, oh, you know, it wasn't people would register that it was bad. I mean, it's illegal. But the experiences I'm going to share with you, which are sexual experiences, I didn't really know how to make sense of. And I didn't feel like I deserved to be upset about them because they felt really normal. So I just want to give a trigger warning here. We're going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about consent. I'm going to be sharing about a number of disempowering experiences I had. And if this is not a good time for you to listen to this podcast, I invite you to pause it, skip this one, or come back later. So these experiences that I had left me with a range of emotions. I felt disempowered. I felt violated. I felt discarded, unsafe, unvalued. I didn't feel worthy of pleasure, that my pleasure autonomy mattered. And I never really processed these emotions when they happened. I actually didn't really even recognize anything was wrong. Sometimes I did. But for the most part, I just kind of felt like this was normal. These were normal experiences and emotions to be having. I didn't have the tools at the time. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the information. And the community that I had and the way we talked about sex and our culture around consent and sex was not really empowering in the way that I think it should and needs to be. As we learned from the last episode, I have big emotions. I think all of us actually do. But I think it's, I think I do. And I think that I know that big emotions left unprocessed stay in the body. I also don't believe this is unique to me. I suspect that that's true for most, if not all people. But I can't 
tell you what your body is like and what your experience is like. I'm only speaking about mine. So these feelings I had of being unsafe and unvalued and unworthy stayed with me at some level and continued to stay with me even as, so these these experiences I had, I was like 19 and 20, I was in college. And so as I matured and had much more mature sexual experiences and matured my understanding around sex and around communication, I understood the world differently. I understood what sex was supposed to be like differently. But these emotions kind of still stayed within me. They kind of were trapped in my body and they still had some sort of impact on the way I experienced sexual expression and sexuality. And what happened was that even though I'm in this really amazing and supportive and loving and nurturing and fun and awesome relationship, I had some insecurity about my ability to express myself sexually. I had a hard time staying present. I'm going to get into this a lot more. But I felt like there was something wrong with me for not feeling totally comfortable, even though my environment was really comfortable. My partner's the best and I'm obsessed with him. And I was like, what's wrong with me? And I just assumed it was my fault and that I must, there must be something wrong with me. I felt ashamed about being unsafe. I felt like there was something wrong with me and that there was, I was broken in some way. And now I know if that is absolutely not true. Of course it's not true. There's nothing wrong with me, but there were some experiences that I need to look at that were not, they were normal and they were super common. I imagine most women listening to this and men, men might, men might relate to this too, but most, a lot of women, especially women who had a similar kind of college culture that I did will look at these experiences and think me too, or relate to them in most conversations, intimate conversations I've had with other people. I hear a lot of me too's with this. By the way, I didn't say this in the last episode, but in the strangling, I actually get a lot of me too's with that too, which is sad and disappointing, but it's true. And so these experiences, disempowering experiences I had were totally normal. So I didn't feel permission to be upset about them, but I still was, and I didn't have permission to be scared, but I still was. And that lived inside of me. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And through the story that I'm about to share, I learned there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you either. My emotions are valid and my sexual expression is sacred and beautiful and important and valuable. And I now feel so much more comfortable claiming that than I did before. So let's get into it. This is a vulnerable share for me. I'm not super comfortable speaking about sex on such a public platform. I've never done it before. And I'm, you know, like let alone not just talking about sex, but my own shame around it. But shame fractures self-truth. Shame prevents us from really stepping into our full, fullest, most powerful, most brilliant, most beautiful selves. And I'm not going to hold on to shame that was assigned to me from other people or that anyone else says that I should be ashamed about. I want to provide some thoughts, some insights, some of my experiences in the case that it can support anyone else who has felt shame and anyone else who feels like there is something wrong with them or that their emotions around these 
experiences that have been wrongfully normalized so they can feel more supported and comfortable and loving towards themselves. So let's get into it. Okay, so let's go back to just like a little over a year ago, late 2019, early 2020. I had been on a spiritual path for a few years, sparked by, first sparked by that crystal sound healing event in New Orleans I shared about in the last episode. My connection with my body was improving and developing and my intuition was heightening. I was also super open-minded and excited about new ways to expand my experience and to really like feel the all of the bigness of life and all of the different opportunities, experience, emotions that were out there for us. At the same time, I was being exposed to more information about female sexual empowerment and female pleasure, and I was super interested in it. I was reading books and listening to podcasts that celebrate full female sexual expression, female orgasm, female pleasure in so many forms, in so many ways, and really looked to a, to dissolve shame in, in like the resistance that society has to celebrating female pleasure. There's two that come to mind that were really impactful for me. The podcast, True Love and Wild Sex with Wednesday Martin and Whitney Miller. I loved that podcast. I still listen to it, but it was like really influential for me at that point and kind of evolving my ideas around the expression of sexuality and the, um, all the ways, all the different ways to think about female pleasure. And then there's this book I that was really important to me at the time called Pussy, a Reclamation by Regina Thomas Hauer, or she also goes by Mama Gina. And TBH, I actually have never fully finished the book. I tend to not finish books, but I've gotten, a, I've read enough of it that I really understand the gist, I think. And I'm much more of like a starter than a finisher of nonfiction. And this book, of course, it's about reclaiming the word pussy because pussy has been distorted to be an insult. And in fact, pussies are beautiful and powerful and divine and worthy of worship. But it also is about reclaiming fe uh, female sexual intuition, female pleasure, and kind of this concept that our, our female pleasure is at the seat of our intuition. And the more that we prioritize pleasure in our lives, both sexually and non-sexually, the more joy we have, the more connection with our bodies, the more powerful we feel. And that the reason we're not doing that now is based on misogyny and that and based in shame and those aren't good reasons for us to not have access to pleasure and to joy and to our own internal power. And these two things is kind of like female pleasure and spirituality were intersecting. And I was really excited by this idea with this idea of like you can increase your intuition, you can gain access to your life force energy. And you can have these transcendent sexual experiences that orgasms were spiritual experiences, that sex could be a spiritual experience. And I just found that to be fascinating. And it's like, okay, yeah, sign me up. Like I'm in this, okay, so also I'm in an, in an amazing, incredible relationship. And by this point, I had been dating my partner for four years. We have a lot of communication and um, the idea of getting to explore this whole other realm of emotions and experiences and divinity together I feel like I have such a gift in having met him so young in my life and getting to experience so much I met him when I was 23 getting to experience so much of life together and this sounded awesome but at the same time 
I didn't really feel like that was ever going to be available to me. I wanted to, but I didn't really think that it could be, or it certainly wasn't yet. So even though I'm in this incredible partnership that is very oriented around my pleasure and it's also super consent focused and there's a ton of communication, lots of intimacy, and I just also love spending time with him. I was really pleasure educated at this point. I understand that unlike how I used to when I was in my youth, that the way sex is depicted in movies and TV shows is inaccurate and that there's so much more to female orgasms and female pleasure than how it is usually depicted with a male gaze, with the eye to male pleasure on TV. And I had already explored that. I was like super down and open, but still. So it wasn't like I, I had already done all this research and work and I felt like I knew everything, yet this wasn't true for me. There was this level of deep intimacy and depth that you need to be at, I believe, or I need to get at to be able to experience those realms. And I didn't feel like I could go there. I disassociated a lot when I had sex, which if you're not familiar with that terms, you may be physically in the motions, but your mind isn't there. There was nothing that anyone could do to make me feel present. I would meditate, I would do all these different things. It wasn't a reaction to anything specific. There's, I knew that there was something around I didn't feel totally safe to stay present, to feel really, to be able to get to a level of connection and intimacy. I didn't feel totally safe to really unravel. I had this kind of feeling at the back of my mind that sex or that like any intimacy had to result in sex. I had a heart, my partner looks at me like I'm a goddess and I had a hard time trusting that and receiving that. I would get really impatient. I would feel like my body didn't go fast enough. I knew that to get to this full level of, I didn't, it was like I didn't have the same, there are parts of exploration that felt scary for me because I knew that to get there, you really needed to be able to unravel and be fully seen in ways that I didn't know how to get to. And I felt like there was something wrong with me. How could I possibly not feel safe? I'm in the best relationship I could ever ask for. I am so secure. I mean, mind you, this is two years after I had started on my journey of sharing all my emotions around being strangled. I had already understood the value of me feeling safe and processing my emotions. I felt so secure and supported. Like, what the hell? And like, who am I to not feel safe? I do feel safe because it wasn't really about him. But I didn't know that then. Like, why did I always disassociate? Maybe I'm just not sexual enough. Maybe if I was more sexual of a person, I wouldn't dissociate. I would be able to be present. I would trust more. I wouldn't be so skeptical. And mind you, I was still satisfied with our sex life and I still felt so connected to him. And it wasn't like, it was like, if this is the way it's going to be forever, I'd be okay with it. But I, I knew that there's this other level here and I don't want to deprive myself ever of the full realm of what things could be and the magic we can create together. And sexual expression is the most personal part of yourself. And I wanted to be able to explore that and explore that in a really intimate and fun and playful way. But it was like I just felt too scared to. 
and I didn't want to I'd never I didn't like talking about this I challenged myself to and I did end up more but because I was afraid people would think I wasn't sexual enough and that there was something wrong with me or I was afraid that people would think there's something wrong with my relationship and assume that this was all code for we're unhappy in our relationship or we're never having sex or something which wasn't true there was just this knowing that there was a part of me that didn't there was a part of me that was help being held back I was holding myself back and I didn't know why and I thought maybe it was just the way I was designed and that this was just an experience that everyone else got to could experience and and I know that's not the case I actually know most unfortunately most women are not in a place where they're exploring their pleasure and that you guys might not even have any idea what I'm talking about and like that a lot of people never get to that full level of expression for a number of reasons but I wanted it for me and I didn't want to feel like I didn't want to feel shame I never want to feel shame I knew enough by then that shame was not an emotion that was serving me and so I was kind of just annoyed and frustrated and then at the same time there is a memory that had been rolling around in my head, particularly over the last year. And I kept revisiting it and trying to make sense of it. It felt like something that shouldn't be a big deal, yet I kept thinking about it and I was really scared to share. I didn't tell anybody about it. And anytime I even really thought about saying it aloud, even to myself, I would get really upset. And I knew that that was a clue that there was something in here for me to look at. So I decided to tell my therapist. This was beginning of COVID. So I was having this conversation with her over Zoom in my bed in my apartment in Brooklyn, which is where I live right now. So this story takes us back to 2012. I was 19 years old. I went to a concert with my friend and we drank four logos before, which are, I don't know if you guys don't know what those are. They're like these very alcoholic, gross drinks I think this was before they had to like change the recipes so they're pretty potent and we were wasted going into a bar that we would go to a lot after the, so after the concert finished we go to a bar and again this story involves at least this this one of I'm sharing a lot of experiences today but this one involves me being very drunk again and the last thing I remember is walking into that bar and then the next flash I have, and it's later, but I don't know how far later. It could be an hour later or three hours later. I'm in a fraternity bedroom. Again, a fraternity that I spent time at, but was unusual for me to be there alone. And I know my friend had told me, like, I have no idea where you went. So I don't think I went there with a group of people, but I don't know because I don't remember. I was in this bedroom with a, another guy who is a student who I knew too but wasn't close friends with. It, this would be the only time we would ever hang out or be together on our own. And I was totally naked. And I remember being handed something that I couldn't open and being too drunk to be able to explain and like disoriented and then I remember having a flash of having sex and then the next flash I had was getting dressed and I don't remember feeling 
like I was being forced into anything. I don't remember feeling scared. It was more like just I was very drunk. And I remember getting dressed, being able to walk home, like having the coherence to be able to walk and knowing like I want to get out of here. And I went to bed and I woke up the next day and I was like, that was such a weird thing to do when I was drunk because this is not somebody that I would have ever expected that I would be having any sort of intimacy with. And I remember going to tell my friend and she was like, where'd you go last night? Like as soon as you went to the bar, you disappeared. And I was like, yeah, well, this is what I remember. And I remember kind of presenting it like, haha, listen to this weird thing that I did when I was drunk. But she did not find it funny. She was like, what? Because this was not, this was a surprising pair. And she knew it wasn't something that I would have chosen to do had I had more sobriety. And I remember thinking, okay. And I remember it spreading around, not from her. And I knew people were making, were teasing me for it, kind of making fun of me. And just feeling kind of icky about it, but not really making much sense of it beside them. And then I remember going around campus and I would see these signs that would say, consent is a clear, sober, enthusiastic yes. And being kind of like, I don't know how to make sense of that. This, I have no reason. At that time, I was thinking of no reason to think that I was forced into this. So this was predatory. I'd assumed that even though I wouldn't have normally I had expressed some sort of flirtation or something and I was like this was not sober at all but then I was like but nothing none of our experiences are sober our entire culture is built on at this university and our cultural and our campus and our our social group is built on these intimate you know sexually intimate experiences that were not sober we drink heavily regularly I was also in Greek life. Um, This was a primarily white, primarily affluent group with most people presenting as hetero and most or basically all in this group cisgender relationships and or folks presented as cis. The idea that it was like, well, we can't say like, how, what do we even make of that? What happens if there's not, what happens if there's not sobriety? And how much sobriety do you have to have? But I was like, something, this feels weird. And then, and I remember being embarrassed because I obviously didn't want people gossiping about who I had slept with. That's just like a personal fact. And it felt like somebody was taking this personal thing about me and everybody was talking about it. And that never feels good. So now we fast forward to the fall and we're in sorority rush. Uh, rush, if you're not familiar with Greek life campus, rush is where new girls since sororities are like gendered girls join sororities boys join fraternities or that's the case for the majority and that's the case for as it was for us on campus and so you have a new batch of girls joining every joining every fall and you have like a lot of blocks of empty time because they're like handling logistics of stuff and so you have a hundred girls you have two pledge classes which are a hundred girls for us all in our like kind of common area dining room area together and we would play this game called never have i ever never have i ever is usually 
played like as a drinking game and someone says something they have never done and then anyone else who has done that game has to put like a finger down or has to drink their drink but when we would play it because there are so many of us if you've done that thing you have to stand up on your chair and so it's like everyone knows it becomes like a thing and when we play this game it was usually pretty playful I'd be like never have ever skipped class or never have I ever thrown up from drinking too much or ordered late night food or even like made out with so-and-so that like everyone had made out with but it could also be used to slut shame each other and it would always at some point like be used to in a way that I thought seemed mean to make fun of each other and shame each other in the whole group for something somebody had done sexually and that's what happened there so somebody had one another girl in my pledge class um a friend had called me out never have I ever slept with so and so and the way it was done felt mean it felt like it was meant to embarrass me it didn't feel funny and I presume that everyone knew that I was blacked out drunk doing this and I remember standing up in my chair and playing it off and smiling and you know I wasn't gonna like cry that wouldn't help but I remember thinking I can't believe I am being shamed for something that I didn't choose I didn't choose to sleep with that person and now I'm being made fun of for it in front of everybody and I remember feeling heartbroken I'd already kind of felt like an outsider and for some things that I contributed to but this really solidified that for me and it created this layer of shame around this experience I had because I felt like all these friends of mine were validating that this experience was normal and it was funny it was something to laugh about it was not something that I should be upset about this was something that I chose that was my fault and that I have to take full responsibility for it This is not meant to be an attack on the woman in that room. I, first off, watched other people shamed in that way, and I didn't do anything about it. I know a lot of people were uncomfortable, and I'm not defending the fact that we used to do this to each other. It was unkind and traumatic, but it's more a reflection of us as young women are just of our distorted understanding of consent and of sexuality than the character of those women it's like I'm still friends with a lot of them I think they're amazing and some of them have been super helpful and supportive of me in creating this podcast and sharing these stories but at the time we thought these things were normal and we made fun of each other for doing them and we made fun of each other for we slut shamed each other and we didn't have a recognition of what consent meant. But it felt normal to for someone to be blacked out drunk and go sleep with someone they wouldn't choose from and not be upset by that. As I am sharing this experience to my therapist, this experience of having sex with someone I wouldn't have with almost no memories of it and then being shamed about that, all these different emotions came up. I felt really discarded. I felt like my coherence and my presence was not required, just my body. How could I be present? How could I be there? How could I consent to something if I don't remember anything? I felt violated. I felt like my sexuality, this most deep and personal part about me, 
did not fully belong to me. I didn't get to make all the choices around it. Other people got to make the choice of what to do with it when I didn't have the ability to make it myself. And then I felt super, super embarrassed to be having these emotions at all. This was not these horrible stories that you read about. This was something that felt normal. Why should I be impacted by this? Who am I to feel violated? I was drunk. I should take responsibility for anything that happens. And I knew intellectually that, of course, that wasn't true. That me being drunk doesn't give someone else permission to make decisions for me in that way. Such a personal decision. That both of our coherence is critical. But I had a hard time really feeling that and not carrying guilt for it. I also didn't feel like I was allowed to be upset because I didn't know if this was predatory. I didn't know enough in the context to remember. Maybe it was predatory. Maybe this person saw I was being, I was wasted and targeted me and took me back. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe I seemed interested. Maybe I was verbally consenting and he was also wasted. Maybe the boy didn't think my drunken state was a problem because everyone was hooking up when drunk. This was a very validated part of our culture. We didn't have language in this community around consent, sobriety, or communication generally. And what I had to learn was I get to have my emotions regardless of what this other person was thinking. I get to be upset. I get to feel violated. I don't have to prove that this person was predatory. I don't have to qualify their behavior or excuse it or I just get to focus on me and I get to feel like my emotions that were coming up were valid. I don't have to prove anything to feel my emotions. I can just have them. I don't, I'm not litigating this. I'm not in a courtroom. You know, remember, I'm a lawyer. And I think I was trying to lawyer this for myself. I am not acting like a judge and saying, okay, if this person, you know, met this intent, then you get to feel sad. But if it didn't, you're not allowed to feel sad. I am this woman, I am a woman, nine years later, crying on Zoom to my therapist. I get to feel sad. I get to have these emotions and I don't have to judge myself for having them. I get to see that this is a problem even if I don't know if everyone else will see that this is a problem. Even if other people will look at this and say, I don't see what the problem is or identify so much with the man that they have a hard time extending sympathy to the other person. And I, you know, I'm using a lot of like hetero language in here and I know that this extends to other groups I'm just speaking because I'm speaking from my my experience I'm also using the word I'll be using the word woman a lot and again like if you resonate with this no matter how you identify with your gender or present then take it this is not meant to be limited and I know that this experience can be felt across genders and across different relationship dynamics so as I processed these emotions that I was holding on to, my therapist and I started reviewing other past experiences through the lens of consent. If we want to talk about consent, we are not just going to talk about this one. We got to look at the other ones. This one stood out to me because of the context around it, because it was like such a thing with my friends and it was kind of this, uh, pat, this, um, this partnering was unique or out of character. But this experience that I had then was not isolated. I had other hookup experiences where I was also 
incoherently drunk. These may have been with people that I was interested in or maybe would have been like, oh yeah, I'd be kind of happy if something happened between us. So when it did, I didn't really notice in the same way. And some of those I felt and still kind of feel icky about and some I don't. And that's kind of the nuance with this. It's like you can have some relation, some experiences that feel good and some that don't and you're not really sure why and it's okay to have room for both. But what I realized that I took from this and my body held from this was that my coherence was not required and nobody else or often the other person wouldn't make sure that my coherence was required. That the fact that I don't remember anything and likely then was presenting as very drunk wasn't me reason to not continue and then there were these other experiences where I was coherent I gave consent and it, it may have even seemed enthusiastic um, nothing about the way I presented it would have been concerning but I felt pressured in some way even if it was socially even if it wasn't from that individual and I didn't actually want to proceed but I felt like I had to or that sex really hurt but I progressed anyway because I was embarrassed. I didn't feel empowered and confident enough to communicate my needs. And I think it just kind of left me with this feeling that sex wouldn't always be fun and it was something that you might just have to endure for other social reasons. And then there are these experiences that were disrespectful or even scary. And I'm just going to give two examples of them. There was the time I went home with a really nice guy, a friend of mine. And he had really good manners and everyone just thought he was such a sweetheart. And it just thought this was going to be playful. We were like going to make out or something. And he kept really aggressively pushing my head down to give him oral sex. And I remember thinking okay, I need to navigate this well because it's late and he doesn't live, he lived too far away for me to walk. It's dark. I either need to, I need to find a way to wait this out. I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give him oral sex. I don't want to. It's my choice. But he's getting kind of aggressive and I don't want him to just kick me out because it's late and it could be dangerous for me to walk home. This was pre-Uber. You know, it this I couldn't just like chill call an app like have an app and bring a call and so I remember just having to kind of navigate the situation and stay playful and friendly and warm and not show my frustration and my anger that he was trying to force me into something that I was explicitly communicating that I did not want to do and he was ignoring because I had to prioritize my safety I remember another time going home with someone again I thought these are just going to be playful and him making it very clear that he expected us to have sex. And I didn't really know him that well. He was kind of in our general social group. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing that. And he just looks at me and goes, well, then why are you here? And I remember at the time in my head feeling a little bit heartbroken. Like, oh, I thought that you liked my personality. But in reality, I think I said something along the lines of F you and left and like went back to the bar to the party or whatever and never spoke to that person again. These experiences taught me that my enthusiasm wasn't important and that there was an expectation that all intimate experiences had to result in sex despite my comfort and what I wanted. 
And then, of course, there were positive and fun experiences that were loving and playful and sweet and respectful. And um, and those all existed at the same time. However, altogether, these disempowering experiences created a sexual blueprint that then I carried with me and continued to apply in the way that I thought about sex. I believed, even if it was only at some level or more of an unconscious level, that my coherent presence was not necessary, that sex was primarily for men's experience and pleasure, that I did not have a total autonomy over my body, that my sexuality does not fully belong to me, that my pleasure was not a priority, that everything had to end in sex. There wasn't much interest in me. I was primarily a body. And that also I should be embarrassed or ashamed of however I have sex and whoever I have sex with because I might get teased for it or made fun of. I had experiences in college and definitely afterward, including with my partner and my whole relationship partnership, my current partnership, that challenged this narrative. And that kind of allowed me to rewrite it where I was respected and celebrated and cared for. But this initial blueprint that was implanted in me in formative years, you know, 19, 20 years old, stayed present. And it kind of always remained as this like whisper inside of me. And now, almost 10 years later, as I was really wanting to develop and expand my sexual expression, it was preventing me from feeling fully safe and from feeling open and available to trusting. I was told either explicitly or implicitly that all these experiences I described were normal. They may have been unpleasant. People may be like, oh, that guy's a creep. But it was kind of par for the course. It was kind of what you should expect. And I believe that. So I never felt my emotions around this. I never felt the sadness of having this personal part about me discarded, disrespected, objectified, or just not prioritized. I never felt this sadness that I had that because I was a woman, I just didn't matter as much, even if it was in a small way, as a man in our experience together. That fear and that sadness and that distrust lived in me. It stayed in my body, it stayed in my womb space. And it's not unlike the fear from my strangling episode lodged in my neck. It was just more hidden. It was deeper and it was quieter. It wasn't this overwhelming feeling of anxiety. It was kind of this slow like chains that kept me from really opening up. And it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. Because you can't experience profound expression and pleasure if you don't feel safe. And I felt like... I didn't connect these feelings of being unsafe from these experiences because these experiences felt normal so I never really thought to look at them. And, or I didn't feel like I deserved or had the right to look at them. And so I just thought this inability to open open up this chains around me were just me and there's just something wrong with me. I didn't see these experiences as an issue. To the extent they would come up and I might wonder if they were connected, I would dismiss that immediately. Because I was ashamed for being upset. I felt dramatic. Who am I to be upset by this? This isn't like, I mean, the experience I shared range. And so some of them are obviously much more 
or they feel to me much more violating than others. But these are not the horrific experiences that I that you hear about or read about that I felt warranted being upset and feeling unsafe. I didn't feel like I deserved to feel anything but fine or acceptance with these. And it wasn't until I got honest with myself and like my therapist primarily that I could start to feel these. And also I had to be in a safe enough space where I could explore this and know I was safe, that I could open up in this way and look at these emotions because I knew I had a lot of support around me. If you are having to be really resilient or you're going through something hard, usually don't have the capacity. And this is just from my experience. Again, I'm not a therapist or I don't have any sort of um, trauma formal trauma education but I it also makes intuitive sense to me that like if you're undergoing something hard or you're in a place where you have to be really resilient you don't have the space to really like shine the flashlight on these repressed memories that might need some attention and so as I started to talk about these I started to feel the emotions almost like I was experiencing it for the first time. I released so much emotion from my body. I cried a lot. I had a lot of shaking. I felt angry and sad and betrayed. I felt violated and angry and upset and discarded and sad. I had to acknowledge that these emotions were real. And when I did, I felt so much more free. Those chains, those like fears and blocks started to fade away. And I could finally actually believe that I was safe. I guess I just got to a point where I was like, these emotions are impacting me. So either I could continue to judge myself for having them or I could just have them and I could share them. Sharing is important to me. It's not necessarily going to be important to everybody, but like it is for me. And I've always been like that. I have to talk through my emotions. I like have to. And I needed to hear. I didn't share it with as many people as I did the strangling story. This one I kept much more intimate because it was much more sensitive to me. And I knew that not everyone would understand this or I was afraid of that. I guess I don't know, but I was afraid of that. And I didn't want to put myself out there in the sensitive way when I didn't know if people were going to understand this. And now I'm in a place where I know these feelings are real for me and that's what matters to me. I don't need everyone to understand this, but I understand it and I know it's true. So then after I kind of got flushed some of the sadness out, I got really angry It infuriates me that I and any other woman are subjected to this sort of treatment. And by that, I mean treated less than just because of the fact that we are women, that we have a female body. It infuriates me that this behavior on behalf of men is tolerated and accepted. It's like this idea that men are insatiable. Oh, if you're too drunk or like, oh, if you go home with them, of course, they're going to want to have sex with you. Even if you who knows if you can totally walk like of course they're going to want to have sex with you and how could they possibly stop and I find it so offensive to men like this standard that we're holding to them is so low and it's offensive to all of the men out there who are respectful and respect the autonomy of others and pleasure oriented and don't want to sleep with someone who can't who is that drunk like who who honor the respect who excuse me who honor the sovereignty the bodies the sexuality of others and understand how sacred that is and understand that it's important and don't want to violate it and it's offensive to suggest that 
oh yeah, men are just as insatiable and like have this unquenchable thirst and that they're just going to do whatever they're going to do because that's not true. And when we hold that standard, we normalize and allow behavior that cannot continue because it is harmful and it is misogynistic and it ignores the dignity of their partner. I am angry that women are ashamed about their comfort and expressing their sexuality or are are just like I'm angry that women don't feel comfortable even talking about sex because it's such a history of saying like of so many conflicting standards of what women are allowed to enjoy and how women should behave sexually and how they should express sexually and how should they speak about their sex and it creates this environment where women don't feel safe to talk about sex and their sexuality and so they might be experiencing something and feel like they can't talk to any, anyone about it so they feel broken or they feel ashamed or they, they feel like something is wrong with them. And there's nothing wrong with you. Your sexuality is your own. It's yours. And you get to feel about it however you feel. You may want or benefit from support because maybe you're holding on to fear because you were not safe before or your autonomy wasn't honored. But you shouldn't have to feel ashamed for having that fear. Sex should feel fun, should feel exciting, enthusiastic, consensual, obviously, and oriented towards the pleasure of all participants, not just one, and not just the one with a penis. And having that expectation is not radical. If you resonate with this experience, I want you to know that you get to feel however you want about these experiences. And you get to fully feel it, whatever that looks like for you. It may look totally different than it does for me. You may use different language to describe these experiences. And you get to do it because it's your experience. You have nothing to be ashamed about. You are not broken. You deserve to feel sexy and safe and confident and wanted and fully in your pleasure and power at the same time. And it fires me up. And I probably will want to do other podcasts on this now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe this won't be the one where I'm talking, the only one that I'm talking about sex, and it can't be, because it is unacceptable that we have allowed for this culture to continue where we normalize behavior that is anything from problematic to extremely violating. Now, there are a few things I want to acknowledge. Consent at our college campus within our circle of Greek life was very different than I think of consent now, and it was problematic. We did not have the understanding, the language, or cultural expectation of communication the way I do now and the way that should be present when people are having sex. Our expectations, speaking generally of what normal sect look like was not healthy or safe we often didn't even communicate about having sex I don't think we communicated a lot about protection about STDs about pleasure about what felt good about drinking I mean there's like the list goes on and on I am not excusing predatory behavior I'm not I don't care what the culture is you no person gets to take advantage of somebody because they don't have the coherence to assert their decisions and their autonomy or be able to make their own decisions but the baseline of what was normal and what was tolerated 
played into what these dynamics look like. And they played into how people acted. Because if everyone else is doing it, it's a lot harder to think there's anything wrong with this. Or if you don't, if there's not a lot of conversation around this, or knowing how to navigate these situations that feel unsafe, then they're going to happen and you're not going to know how to get the support that you need. And as a woman, like I don't feel like I was able to knew how to offer support to other people or I certainly didn't have the language around pleasure or even like understanding or basic information about that. This conversation is not to point fingers at individuals. If you're listening to this and you know me personally, I am not using this to call out anybody I wanted to share this and I'm sharing this because I want to validate the experiences and emotions that I know a lot of people have. I'm trying to like this thing that I, these things that I shared are so normal that I would guess more often than not for people that I know have experienced them based on my conversations with women around me, which means that a number of people may have had the same emotional reaction that I do or are having this now and don't know why. And I wanted to add my voice to the already very active conversation around this that our communication and understanding of sexual experiences and expression needs to evolve. Sorting through this has been a pretty intense emotional experience for me and it brought me some clarity and so I just have some closing thoughts I want to share. As you know, feeling my emotions is important to me. And if I don't, they do manifest in, in some way that is usually not pleasant and often causes me shame and certainly prevents me from feeling like my full, most expressive and beautiful self. We have to, as a society, as a culture, like wherever, however you want to apply this, stop normalizing experiences that aren't empowered for all parties where people don't feel like they are being respected. It doesn't have to be violent for it to be disempowering. When we normalize anything but empowering experiences, it makes it that much harder to acknowledge the pain that those experienced have caused. I also feel super strongly that talking to, obviously talking to young people about consent is important. And I think that there have been big waves with this since I graduated college in 2014. But also talking to young people about pleasure is super important. It's not just about is there consent, but how do we make this feel good? And how do we make pleasure prioritized for everybody? And what does that look like? How do you have the information so you can have those conversations with confidence and you have the language to use around that and you have the language to be able to support each other so pleasure and sexuality doesn't have to be a source of shame. Instilling that at a young age in thoughtful and supportive ways. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not a sexual educator, but I support those doing those work. And I think it's amazing. And I think the more we can evolve our thinking about that, the better off as a whole society we will be. And also we're probably having more fun. I had to learn and I feel so like this is what I want people to be learning at a young age that pleasure is not a bad word expressing your pleasure talking about pleasure seeking pleasure it's not something to be embarrassed about it's not something we should hide sex is a part of our lives it's part of our expression we don't have to turn it off and not everybody feels the need to record a podcast about it and that's amazing you don't have to share it but it shouldn't be something that brings you shame 
because shame fractures our self-truth. It fractures our confidence. It fractures our power. It fractures our self-expression. And as I've been embodying this over the last year and as I've been shedding these layers of shame and anger and frustration and sadness and really prioritizing pleasure in my life sexually and also not sexually, what feels fun in a day? How do I make this fun for me? How do I make this beautiful? How do I honor my femininity and my intuition? How do I honor my body and feel good? So much has opened up for me curiosity and exploration but also just I feel better I feel lighter I feel more expressive I feel bolder and I feel less afraid I don't feel as afraid of the world because I know I'm safe and I'm not carrying on fear I mean I still am a little bit like I'm not fearless but it feels different I feel open I have this like love of my body and what it has carried me through And I just want it to be so loved and respected because it's sacred and it's beautiful and I want to cherish it and it feels awesome. So that's where I'm wrapping up with this. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I'm so curious if this resonates. This was the one where I was like, I'm not sure what people will think of this. It's a little bit different. There's not as much conversation around these sorts of experiences, which is part of the reason why I'm sharing it because I think they're really common. And I wanted to be able to throw in my two cents of how I navigated it and what it was like for me. And it's been a powerful experience for me. It really has. It's been powerful. And it's changed, I think, some of the way I show up in the world and the way I approach the world. And I love sharing about myself. And I'm so grateful to have this platform, this opportunity to contribute to a conversation with all of you. So if this resonated, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your thoughts. DM me on Instagram. You can find me on my Instagram at Wild River, like the name of this podcast. Uh, you can, it'd be really helpful if this resonates to share it, text it to a friend, tell them why you liked it or why you think they would be interested in it. Share it on social media. Just make sure that you tag me at Wild River because I only see it when you actually tag me, even if you like share one of my posts. Leave a review. That's a great way to support me in this. For everybody leaving a review once a month, I will um, select at random one person who left me a review and set up a free 90-minute human design reading for them. Or if you don't want it or you've already had one, you can gift it to somebody else. So leave a review, screenshot it, email me at wildriverhumandesign at gmail.com or the probably the best way to do it is to DM me on Instagram, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't have to be a five-star review just any review I appreciate the feedback I appreciate um, constructive and thoughtful feedback and thank you for being with me I'm excited for more episodes a lot of the future ones I think will have a more um, playful discussion but not necessarily and we're not going to shy away from topics even if they feel heavy because they're part of our life experience and they're part of our expression expression is not just sparkle and happy but it's also depth and it's also intensity and I'm excited to be expressing myself with you. I will talk to y'all soon.